Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Good morning. So we've been in the Rooted series and we kicked it off talking about being rooted in Jesus. And, and the truth is that the Christian life, the, lo- the life in Jesus is all about being rooted in Jesus. And everything that we do should flow from there. I think oftentimes our versions of Christianity cause us to find our life and our hope in other things. Not to mention the, the ways of the world that we can so easily sink into. It's, it's easy to get distracted and begin to put our hope and our life in other things. I, I, I love the concept that we have everything that we need in Jesus. I love what Chris was just saying. That's where life is. That's why when we lock eyes with him, it changes everything because he's the one that gives life to us. Steve talked about life on life and we need people running with us. We need people that we're following Jesus with. And then he talked about life on mission and recognizing that every single one of us have incredible purpose, that you have actually been designed with purpose. It is God's design for you that you would live a meaningful life. And the truth is, in the things that seem menial, there is a lot of meaning. So often, we make it all about the big things that we do for God. It's like, I I did this huge thing for God. I love what Mother Teresa Says She says that there are no big acts of love, but there are only small acts of great love. And the truth is, it's the small things that we do. It's the day in and day out living that brings transformation and carries the love of God. It's what adds purpose to you. I want to just say to you that whatever your role is, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, whatever your role is in life, that there is incredible meaning and purpose in it that you actually have God's hand on your life in what you are doing. And I think it's important that whatever we're doing, even if we don't like it at times or all the time, that we recognize that we are sent by God, that we are on mission with God and the invitation of heaven is to go to work with our Father no matter what we do. And as we do that, it actually makes every bit of work sacred and holy. Amen? So this morning, as we close our time together, we're going to have an opportunity for you to sign up for a community group to live life with people. And uh, I think it's crucial. In fact, as I, as I was thinking about that, I, I was thinking about, as I was putting my, my, my thoughts together for this morning, I started thinking, okay, why, why should you join a community group? Like, what, what will you get out of it? What's the right sales pitch for you? Yeah, your life could be changed. You could meet some really good friends. I believe that the presence of God is there. Um, I believe um, that you will grow incredibly. I began thinking of all of these things, and, and the truth is, I felt like the Holy Spirit rebuked me for thinking that way. And here's why. I feel like what I was thinking about community was actually from a consumer mindset. 
was from the mindset of what can we offer you? What is it that's gonna draw you into it? What is it that we can provide for you? How can we keep you happy? All of that stuff. What you'll find in scripture is that it never talks about community in that way. In fact, it never even says find a good church because you need some people to help you grow. You see, so often we approach church with a consumer mindset. I hope they got a good message for me. I hope they got a good program for my kids. I hope that they've got this for me. And you know what? If, I, if I'm really excited about it, I'm going to start giving. I'm going to give my 10% because, man, they, they've got something that adds value to my life. It's really meaningful to me. I'm really blessed. I'm going to join that church because that's a really good bless me club. You will not find that in scripture. And the truth is, I, I think about why I love the church. And the reason why I love the church is actually not about what I can get out of it. The reason why I love the church is because it is the people of God that I get to sow my life into. The truth is, if you're in Jesus, then you should have so much life flowing through you that you need an outlet for it. Amen. That you need actually a place to put it. It's like you need, it's what Chris was talking about, you need to start digging some canals to get the life out of you because you know there's more coming than you can handle and it's got to flow through you. Now, some of you may think, well, I don't even know what it means to follow Jesus. I need somebody to teach me. I need somebody to pour into me. I need somebody to mentor me. That's absolutely true. We all benefit from that. But there is something twisted that happens when we position ourselves as the recipient from other people solely that I go to receive from them instead of to grow with them so that I can understand what to do with all the life that God's putting in me. And I believe that the Western church is plagued with consumerism and codependency. That somehow... We have positioned ourselves to be consumers of religious goods and services, of spiritual goods and services. Let me go there and I'm gonna worship if the worship's good. If it's not good, I'm not really gonna worship. That has nothing to do with Jesus. Let me go there and, and maybe I'll get a prophetic word or I'll even receive healing or, or you know, this and that. And, and that has nothing to do with you pouring your life out for the sake of others. And I believe that something quite evil settles in our hearts when we position ourselves in that way. It perverts our relationship with Jesus. It perverts our relationship with each other, with the church. And it causes our life and community to become actually quite painful. 
Because when we begin to do that, we actually begin to think with thoughts of entitlement. And we begin to miss the opportunity to live with Jesus as our source. And the truth is, as I know many of you fairly well, I believe that God has put so much in you that you are incredibly valuable, that you are treasure, that the treasure of heaven is living in you. And what we need is ways to creatively pull that out of you. That it's, it's not just about church formed community, but it's about helping us all learn what it looks like to offer our very best to God through each other. And I believe that when we begin to think this way, it begins to add hope and meaning to our lives. The truth is, I believe that our culture is plagued with entitlement. Is plagued with focusing on our rights instead of on our responsibility. Now, I'm not saying that rights aren't necessary. In fact, much of what we've done over the past five years is taught and hopes to help you understand all that you have in Jesus. The benefits of the new covenant and what it means to have relationship with Jesus, that is so valuable. But as I've been pondering over the last week or so, I've been realizing that so often we've focused on rights and we've forgotten to focus on responsibility. And every bit of right, every right that you have, every privilege that comes your way has responsibility added to it. And to not have responsibility with your rights will make you live entitled. And you'll miss the opportunity to live a meaningful life with Jesus. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll start in verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us, through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere, with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that brings faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. What the writer of Hebrews is saying here, he's summing up that we're therefore saying, okay, since we have all of this, what he's just been saying, in fact, if, if you want a, a homework for this week, go ahead and read the book of Hebrews. And what he's saying is we have direct access to God. We don't need a priest, we don't need a preacher, we don't need a pastor, we don't need a prophet. We have direct access to God and because we have direct access, that should inform the way that we live. I don't care who you are and how long you've been with Jesus, I want you to understand this, you have direct access to God. 
I love what John writes in 1 John. He says, because you have the spirit of God, you need that no one should teach you. What it does not say is that it's invaluable to have other people teach you. What it's saying is this, that you can't blame your lack of life and growth on other people because you have the spirit of God living in you. You get direct access. Let me say this. I'm not saying you won't receive value from other people. My life has been transformed by people sowing into my life. I know that I stand here on the shoulders of many who have gone before me. Men who have seen value in me that I did not see that said, hey, I want to pour my life into you. Parents that gave me an example of what it looks like to live a godly life with integrity. Grandparents who pray for me every single day. Like I, I recognize that I'm not a self-made man. That's oftentimes what we miss, but I know this, that my life is in Jesus. It goes on to say, since we have all of that, since we've re received all of that, now, verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Does not say, now let us consider how others can spur us on to love and good deeds. But it says, now let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, capital D, day, I'll explain that in a second, the day approaching. So the writer of Hebrews is writing this a few years before a cataclysmal event in 70 AD. Somehow, many of us miss what happened in 70 AD, but what happened is that the, what Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24, that the temple would be torn down, that not one stone would be left on the other, that it would be the very end of the age, the sacrificial system of the old covenant, that all of that stuff would fall apart, that it would be like the worst day ever. And the truth is, though the Holocaust was a horrible time, what happened in 70 AD was actually worse for the people of Israel. It was incredible destruction. It was so bad that as the, the Roman armies surrounded the city of Jerusalem, that mothers began to eat their own babies because their supplies of food had been cut off. Horrible. And so in that day, leading up to that day, about 40 years before that, Jesus said, when you see all of these things coming, get out of town, head for the hills. It's time to run. It's going to get really bad. Interesting thing that happened is that the 
uh, historian, Jewish historian, not a Christian, Jewish historian Josephus says that because the church listened to the commands of Jesus, they were able to escape the horrible destruction and persecution that happened in that day. It was devastating. And so when the writer of Hebrews says, as you see that day coming, he's saying, look, it's going to get really bad. And in fact, for years leading up to that, it was horrible for the church. Under Nero, church was persecuted, was killed. For them to gather together was at the very threat of their lives. It was bad news. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, it's bad, it's about to get worse. And what I want for you is to not give up meeting together. And I want you to stay in it with each other. Why? It actually doesn't say for your own sake. It says so that you can stir one another on towards love and good works. Some of you may say, I don't really need the church. I can follow Jesus all by myself. That's not the point. You've absolutely missed it. It's not about you getting what you need put into you. It's what you've already recognized in that statement that you have a lot to offer. The problem is you are now removing yourself from the people that you most have to offer it to. And so you need to recognize I need the church because there is so much in me that I need to get it out of me. And when I start to let it flow, here's what happens. It's like life just begins to flow through me. It's it, even more comes. I was at a wedding on Friday night and a couple of my really good friends were there and they, uh, they just hear God and love to encourage people to blast. We're like riding in the Uber car to the reception and they're figuring out how to encourage the driver. It's like just continually going, right? And if I'll just be honest with you guys, the, the last couple of weeks for me, I, there's just been like this stirring and I've just felt a, a, a little bit off, a little bit down. It's, it's been challenging, not like horrible challenging, but it's just felt a little off, right? And that happens sometimes, by the way. You have permission to be off, you just don't have permission to stay off, okay? So, so I'm, I'm with them and some of our friends that help lead uh, a, a church in Dallas were, were there and um, my friends just start blasting them with encouragement. I mean, they're just like, they're reading their mail. They're like sharing conversation. They're like saying, hey, this is what God wants to do in your life. And my friend Reward is like, hey, this is actually the conversation we were having on the way here. You're like, right on. And so I'm just like standing around kind of enjoying it, right? And there's something in me that started to rise up because of that moment. Start paying attention to what God's doing. Here's what's interesting. As I begin to listen to God, and then I said, hey, I, I wanna jump in on this. I feel like God's put something on my heart. So I begin to share something in there. It's like what God has for them. It was like joy began to return to me. 
one of my friends, guy that was assistant secretary of education, I think in the Carter administration, guy had given his life in education, had like served in education his whole life. And, and he, we were asking him in a, in a team meeting one time years ago, what do you do when you're feeling burnt out? What do you do when you're feeling worn out? And he said, here's what I would do. He said, I would go to the special education classroom and I would serve. You see, the truth is, so often we go through burnout and this has been an incredible season for you to get spiritually burned out. Right, like it's, it's, it's been a challenging season. But the way that you break burnout is not by trying to become a bigger target for people. It's by pouring out the very little bit that you have. As we were in pre-service prayer, Pamela began just praying into the story of the boy with five loaves of bread and two fish. My thought is this, as I'm talking, some of you have had this thought. I don't really have anything to offer. Like the need in the world is so great. The need of the people around me is, is exhausting. It's huge. My encouragement to you is to bring what you have. That little boy full of faith offered the little bit that he had and over 5,000 were fed. He wasn't looking for a position. He wasn't looking for even a place to serve. He was just bringing what he had. I want to encourage you as you're in spiritual community, whether it's formal, something initiated by the church, or it's just a part of your life. And by the way, both are very valid. You don't need somebody to designate a time for it to be spiritual because you have direct access, right? That you would have the mentality of what can I bring? That maybe you're not leading that community group, that initiative, but instead of showing up saying, I, I hope they've got something good for me, what if we said, okay, God, what is it that you want me to bring? What can I offer? What can I contribute? How do you want to pour out your life through me? So we're talking about the idea of being rooted. I love the giant redwoods of Northern California. How many of you have seen those in person? They're majestic. They're, they will just like bring you to your knees because of, of the, the grandeur, the magnificence of their size. The largest living organism in the world. One of the things that you'll find is that you cannot find a giant redwood outside of a redwood forest. It's impossible for them to grow on their own. They can't do it. And here's why. Because they are so big that they are a big target for windstorms, for lightning, for tornadoes, and so it's impossible for them to grow on their own. 
Instead, what, what happens is that as they grow in the forest, their roots are entangled together so that whatever comes at one of them comes at all of them. And they begin to hold each other up, rooted with each other. And so their roots actually don't sink deep, maybe 10, 12 feet deep. But there is something about them being bound together that whatever comes at one of them comes at all of them. And so they exist to hold each other up and they grow majestic. And I believe the same is true for the people of God. Our roots have to sink deep into Jesus. But it's also true that it is impossible to follow Jesus all by yourself. That you need people and you need to be a person who is rooted with other people holding them up, propping them up so that no matter what comes at them, they're secured, they're strong and stable. I believe that it's the only way that the people of God can grow into their calling. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to not think, when I talk about calling and community, I don't want you to think, okay, what does it take for me to get into my calling? I want you to begin to think, what does it take for me to be rooted with other people so that they can grow tall in their calling? How can I give my life for others to grow large? Not what can they do for me, but what is it that I can give? And I believe this is what happens, that as we begin to lay down our lives for others, it causes causes them to prosper, and the very act of sacrifice on our own part causes us to grow bigger. And so often we see it backwards and we think, oh, what can I get out of that? And it's the wrong way to see it. It's not the kingdom way to see it. It's the world's way to see it. Go with me to Philippians chapter two. I'm going to read this in the Passion Translation. It says, look at how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one. You are filled to overflowing. Say overflowing. overflowing. That's you. You are filled to overflowing. You lack nothing because of your relationship, your communion, your abiding with the anointed one. It says, look at how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one. You are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. You have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt, the tender, felt his tender affection and mercy. So look at how much life you have in God. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you may be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Whew. Let me read that again. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they, for they will only harm your cherished unity. The tension here is between ego and community. Is it about me or is it about everybody else? Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts. Be in authentic humility. Put others first. The NIV says, consider others better than yourself. 
and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And consider the example of Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let us live. Let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself. God himself humbled himself and became vulnerable. The word vulnerable, some of you hate that word because it means to be open to attack. But the truth is, it also means to be open to connection. And it's impossible to have connection without vulnerability. He made himself, he humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. Let's let Jesus be our example for what it looks like to live in community. You know, I I love the, the early church because in the early church, what they did, what they believed was in this word, perichoresis. Say perichoresis. Perichoresis is a Greek word that means to return. And this is the way that they viewed the Trinity. They viewed the Trinity as that word perichoresis essentially means a divine dance, mutual submission, that the life in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that they lived together in this community of love. And what you'll find in scriptures that the father sent the son and it was the son's pleasure to be sent by the father. And then as the son uh, ascends into heaven, the father pours out on the son, the Holy Spirit. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. And the, the son lives to honor the father and the spirit lives to honor the son. The Holy Spirit is always pointing towards Jesus and Jesus is always pointing towards the father. There's this incredible dance of mutual submission, of mutual honor, of mutual love that they exist in. It's beautiful. And what the early church fathers believed was this, that you and I have actually been invited into that divine dance. That, that what the Trinity is doing, and you see it really beautifully in John 17, that they would be one even as we are one. And what God's desire is, is that we would exist in this place of mutual submission, of reciprocation, actually. The best relationships are reciprocal. And so even as I've been talking about find ways for you to give creatively, stir up love in each other. The truth is the opposite is true that you have to be willing to receive. For those of you that are going to be leaders in community groups, the best leaders are the ones that are vulnerable, that go first and allow others to give to them. Why? Because we're allowing others to to let what is in them out of them. And so we need to be a target to receive from everybody. My favorite people to receive from in my life are my kids. And so being rooted in Jesus means that he's our source, but it doesn't mean that he won't use other people as a resource in our lives for him to pour his source through. And so we have to stay humble and open to connection 
We need it. It's valuable. Our life will thrive because of it. I bring up the whole idea of perichoresis of the Trinity because the Trinity is the best example of what healthy relationship looks like. Chris said in the transition that we're supposed to think like God. I believe that's true and that's not an exaltation of ourselves, but it means that whatever God thinks is the right way to think and so we want to align our ways with his thoughts. And I would say this, that the greatest form of spiritual maturity is that we love like God. That we learn how to allow his love to reach our hearts, that we would open up our hearts to him and then that we would enter that divine dance of relationship with others and we would live in that reciprocal place of honor and love, of mutual submission that life flows through. As I've been talking It's easy to notice, but I've just been sensing, this is a big target, but there are some of you that have church hurts. Like you've been really wounded by the church and it's beat you up and it's, it's put pain on you and it may even have made it hard to show up on a Sunday morning. I believe that God wants to heal those. I believe that he actually wants to comfort those. Second Corinthians one calls God the God of all comfort. Let me say this, that any set of relationships that's real, that's authentic, has the opportunity to cause you incredible joy and incredible pain. It's the reality of vulnerability. And so when you join a church of imperfect people, you don't make it more perfect, you make it more imperfect. And the truth is, if we're going to do anything meaningful in life, it's going to be at the risk of hurting and offending each other. We're going to get it wrong. I'm not minimizing your pain, but what I want to do is, is because I'm going to invite you to step back in, even if you've been hurt, I want you to know that there is always risk in community. But there's incredible reward. And on behalf of the church, I want to say to you that I'm sorry. I know probably in this room, surely in this room, there are people that I've hurt and it breaks my heart. And it's what happens when we attempt to follow Jesus together. And I know that it hurts God's heart, but what he would say to us, first he would comfort us and he would love to pour out his comfort. He loves to deal with our pain, to meet us there. And then he would say, I I need you to get back in the game. I need you to reconnect. I need you to offer what you have and even become a a target for other people to offer what I've put in them. I believe that God wants to bring healing to you in that place. And sometimes I love when Jesus heals the the, uh, 10 lepers and it says that it was as they went that they were healed. So I'm not gonna ask you to stand up. I'm not going to pray for you in front of everybody instead what I want you to do is embrace the possibility of being healed as you go. Embrace the possibility of being healed as you re-enter into community. I believe that that's what God wants to do with us. That he wants to make us here in Central Texas 
like the giant redwoods of Northern California, that our roots are woven together in such a way that we rise up as a big people. And that when people see us, they say, oh my goodness, look what God has done. And we get there by running together. Let me pray for us. You can stand. Father, thank you that you're really good. Thank you, Jesus, for your example. Lord, I thank you that we have the opportunity to represent you to each other. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your life through us. Lord, I pray that there would be such tangible love in our relationships that people say those people must belong to God. That there is such grace, such forgiveness, such honor, such humility that flows that people will be drawn to God. Lord, we just declare that we need you. We need you. You may be here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus. This would be a great time to do that. If you want to do that, you recognize Jesus, I need you. I've sinned, I've rebelled against you, I've gone my own way, and I need you. I receive what you did on the cross for me, dying for me, being beaten for me, standing in my place, taking the, the, the pain that I deserved on yourself. Thank you, I receive your sacrifice, Jesus, and I receive that you rose from the dead so that as you rose to life, I get life in you. And if you do that, I just encourage you to let somebody know this morning. We'd love to pray with you. In fact, I'd love to pray with you after the service. Let's worship a little more. Amen.